2: You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. The title of today's show is Red is the New White. And that title was supplied by Alex Conception on Twitter. I'm your host, Richard Spanners-Ready. And I'm also joined by Matt to Rumpets. Good afternoon, Matt.
1: And good evening, Spanners, since we're going to play the game of opposites today.
2: We will be inconsiderate. Instead of me selfishly saying good evening because it's my evening, I reached across the pond and was like, my American friend, I know it's the afternoon for you, and you make a great sacrifice by opening your whiskey first thing in the afternoon, and we all appreciate that. We appreciate you getting in the evening spirit for the Brits.
1: Yeah, it's it's a bit tragic. Although I must correct you uh, that in the summertime it's gin, not whiskey.
2: I beg your pardon. No offense caused, Matt. Today when I sat down uh, with my Vimpto, my sugar-free Vimpto, uh, to watch the race, I went to put my bets on. What? Why? Why are you objecting to sugar-free Vimpto?
1: I have ne- Vimpto sounds like something that you <laughs> go to a podiatrist and have diagnosed to me.
2: No, it sounds like the, the medicine to cure you. Ask your doctor if Vimto is right for you. No, I went to put bets on, which I tend to do to spice up my racing experience. And I uh, I went to do my normal bet of who would win without the big six. And it was really interesting to note that my normal bookie did not have Ferrari listed as that. So I, w- I looked for winner without the big six and I was able to bet on Leclerc to be the winner without the big six, which is a... A fascinating change in the f1 landscape
1: it is indeed um i'm curious so do they literally just start that at position seven then
2: yeah so so basically so la- if it was last season basically without red bull ferrari or mercedes you could then bet on like best of the rest
1: right so so my question was do they automatically exclude um like say red bull mercedes and whoever they think is yeah the the five and six, or does it literally whoever comes in position seven is considered the winner of the category?
2: No, they they mark in their minds who they think the big six are. And last season, of course, that was Ferrari, Red Bull, Mercedes. This season, they've got it as Mercedes, Red Bull and Racing Point, which hasn't really worked out, but it was just interesting that that's the way the betting was going.
1: Uh, It's interesting to me that they would make that call. And I would certainly take uh, take Renault next (laughs) week at Monza, given that.
2: Yeah, loads of stuff uh, coming up on the show because I think we've seen a little bit of a sea change in the midfield this week. And it may continue uh, for some of the tracks that we've got coming up with the particular characteristics of Monza, for example, maybe continuing to suit Renault and perhaps Racing Point as well. And uh, we'll get on to all of that. But first, I must tell you that we are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. We're also joined by an expert, esteemed panel, making his debut on Missed Apex Podcast. Be kind, it's Nick Alexander. Good morning,
3: Nick. It is just noon now, so almost,
2: but uh, how are you? I'm doing good.
3: I'm happy to be here, genuinely. No sarcasm
2: meant at all. Because of your voice and your very relaxed and, uh, and, and soft tones, you're right, you do have to declare... That you are happy because sometimes you can sound a little melancholy, Nick. Well, that race was good and I'm happy to be here. I'm having a good time. That's right. (laughs) Thanks for joining us all the way from Seattle, Nick Alexander. And also joining us on the panel is the edgy and debonair Kyle Power. Uh, Good evening, Kyle. Good evening to you. Looking forward to getting stuck into not what was the greatest race, but
4: still full of intrigue and lots to talk about. And also, I'm quite happy to be on with, with Nick because I think I made my debut on one of his very many other debuts, actually. So it's quite full
2: circle. Oh, there we go. And, um, and I think you've got a few suggestions for us um, if we talk about, you know, why the race didn't spark as well. So I think we'll have a, a section mm-hmm. called Kyle explains to us exactly why the race didn't spark. The theme tune is going to be epic for that. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. Okay, cool. Um, This is my panel then. It's Matt Trumpis. I'm Spanners. That's Kyle. And over there in the corner in Seattle is Nick Alexander. Matt, uh, should we start off with qualifying? What's your highlights from qualifying?
1: Um, Well, we could, although I do feel compelled to mention prior to that, um, Haas only ran 10 laps about a total on Friday practice uh, because they had power unit issues. And in qualifying, I think the good can be very easily encapsulated by the following names. Albin, Verstappen, Hamilton, and Renault Russell in Q2 as well, if you want to go there. But really, that was a good uh, Albin getting stuck in P5, not too far off his teammate. Looks like progress has been made between Red Bull um, and Albin in the garage, and he seemed a lot more comfortable, and it was a much better qualifying effort for him. Uh, that's I think that's the best he's qualified behind Verstappen, certainly this season.
2: Oh, okay. Where and did, possibly where, last season as well. Where did Albon qualify then on the grid? Fifth. He was fifth. Okay, so he was fifth with Verstappen third. Really third. challenging, like just a few hundredths off of eight hundredths off of Bottas. I think. Um, interesting, Kyle, isn't it that with with Albon, we're we're still talking about you know we're still damning with faint praise, aren't we? And and nearly every single interview. Isn't like, how are you approaching this weekend? It's Oh, it's tough, isn't it? Oh, it's tough. Isn't it tough, Alexander? Alexander, you can't can't quite catch up with Max. Max, he's good, isn't he? He's good, Max. Why can't you catch him? And he just looks sad, sad and apologetic all the time.
4: (laughs) Well, he's in the Lions' den. He's up against one of the best, well, could potentially be one of the greatest drivers ever. And he made quite a telling comment in one of these interviews earlier in the weekend where they asked him, um, what are you mainly struggling with? And he said a comment which Button said about Hamilton a few years ago as well. And it's like what Max can does with an unsettled car, and an unstable car, it doesn't really bother him and he can drive around the problem. Whereas Albon is obviously struggling. He's trying to find his feet, so he's not going to have that confidence level. Button said the same thing about Hamilton years ago as well, so he can drive around problems. It just
2: shows that Verstappen is truly a great driver. It shows he's a great driver. Okay, fair enough. But we are still looking at Albon being a driver who is... Losing out to his teammate in in all areas, qualifying and race week after week. Um, we I will point out, Matt, that we have given drivers a, a lot more stick when they have been, say, you know, only winning a third of their qualifying battles. Yet we're quite um, we're, we're quite lenient with Albon when he's you know he's only such a he's only two grid spaces back.
1: Yeah, but I think we are giving him that extra room with. A really good reason. First of all, he only started Formula One last year. Second of all, he's just now completed his first season in the team, and it's only a half season with this new, incredibly unstable car. And despite that, he was in a position looking to take a podium already once this season. And for the most part, given Red Bull's strategy, he's maximized what they've given given him in the race. And I would argue that all along, and relative to Gasly— The reason he is there is not because he's going to qualify within a 10th of Verstappen. He's there because he's going to make the most out of the race and he's going to pass people when they need to be passed. Now, to do that, and I would argue in terms of today's race, they do have to put him on the right tire and they have to give him a decent strategy. And they've absolutely not always done that. So fair enough. I think that it's 50-50 right now for him but I think Red Bull very much want this relationship to work and they're going to do everything they can to make it happen.
3: I, we say this all the time, but I think we forget just how young Max Verstappen is. It feels like he's been an F1 for a while, but he's only 22 years old. And Alex Albon is 24 years old. So even though he's just... You know, he's just a, just wrapping up his first season. He's still kind of sort of a rookie, maybe a sophomore. He's still two years older than his teammates. So <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I mean, you have to tamper that down a little bit, I would think.
2: And uh, someone in our lovely live chat room. Hello, live chat room. You can watch this show. You can watch us recording it live um, by going to YouTube and searching for Miss Apex Podcast. And uh, we had a chat comment. Let me scroll up to see if I can find it. Um, uh, DeJotma says... Uh, but Spanners, he's such a nice guy. And I think, yeah, we're, we're all kind of willing him on and wishing him well. I'm playing devil's advocate to a certain extent. I want to be the one here that that's holding him to account as well as everybody wishing him well. But perhaps, uh, you know, we, we've, we've got a bit more goodwill for Alban, whereas Gasly is a little bit more kind of in your face and more racer drivery, whereas Alex Albon is kind of, you won't get this reference, Matt, but he's a bit more Kevin and Perry, you know, he's like, Oh, mr marco can i have a jam sandwich please i, I like i
1: like the imitation that comes across as albanesque <laughs> i definitely get it um I, I did want to respond to nick uh, i thought kyle was going to go there when i waved my hand up with all five fingers extended max has been in formula one for five yeah. years albin has been in formula one for just barely a year and at two different teams during that time so i while the maturity thing i get in terms of his F1 experience n- there's no comparison and you go back and look at early max driving into walls in monaco and stuff like that and and tell me that it doesn't take some time to really get on top of these machines
2: okay look let's um, let's go on to uh, a bit more of the good there we've got to address lewis hamilton's uh, qualifying in fact this is we often get accused of being like a really super duper ham podcast right and because of that i kind of i try and scale it back a little bit and in fairness I think people will agree. I'm also very critical of Hamilton uh, when he's making a mistake or when he's not when he's not on form. Like I'm, I'm critical of him in qualifying. I've always been critical that I think he um, he, he he underperforms in qualifying because he's always going flat out. He's always going for that perfect lap. Um, never seems to really have have banker laps. And and just in general, like if I'm a a, a supporter of a team or a sportsman, I'm going to be more critical. But this is the least hamfosi. Uh, panel we've got and i was looking around i'm looking for jeansy really but i'll go to kyle instead kyle it wasn't a fluke those laps was it and it wasn't bottas just dropping the ball it was just lewis hamilton man and machine it looked like that machine was capable of so so much that's true and yes paul DeResta's keen to go oh no anyone could drive that oh it's amazing <laughs> oh look how good it is it's not fair it's not fair but uh you need You need a, a human being in the machine to make that happen, and as we saw the very capable Bottas, not quite there, Hamilton did something special on Saturday.
4: Yep, I completely agree. It was a bit like his Singapore 2018 lap, which was as close to perfection as you can get in a lap. But also his, it was quite scruffy throughout the rest of the weekend. His FP2 and FP3 runs were a bit scruffy, but he was just exploring the limits, finding out where to do it. And he delivered. He delivered two absolutely bang on nailed laps that were both good enough for pole. Uh, I see a lot of people criticising Bottas, but I thought that was more Lewis getting the most and a bit more out of the car than he should have done rather than Bottas underperforming. Um, Hamilton just keeps going from strength to strength this year, and I don't think there's much more to say, really.
1: I think it may have been a bit scruffy by Valtteri there, but it's worth remembering that this is the last time we are going to see party mode was at this qualifying, and that the lap that Lewis turned in was faster than the unrestricted Porsche 919 from Le Mans, By a significant amount. And so, yeah, if you want to see this car in all its glory, I would simply point you at the lap that he drove. Because whether you like him or hate him or whatever you think about him, there's no denying that that was just sheer mastery all the way around.
3: Let's call it a going away party for party mode. But I also think that um, with the lead that he has in the championship, he feels... Very confident that he's going to win this season, and I don't begrudge him that whatsoever. Uh, A few weeks ago, I saw somebody ask him, I think it was Will Buxton, asked him, you know, what could stand in between you and, you know, know, a a World Drivers' (laughs) Championship? And he just kind of shrugged, and he was like, "Uh, COVID? (laughs) And so I think when you have that to work with, you might as well send it and qualify and, and try to get that perfect lap and yeah. maybe roll the dice on some bankers because i mean what's the worst that could happen at this point he might as well have some fun out there
2: oh yeah the correct answer was probably like nothing and he's played the game of saying oh we're keeping an eye on max in the championship but yeah i just sorry i just got reminded of a simpsons reference as i often do you like, what can possibly stop you winning the championship uh coast guard
4: nick nick made a very good point there um yeah, he's got a very comfortable lead. He's without doubt in his own head, I think he's pretty much half won this thing, regardless of what he says. He says it's a hard fight and no one's you know, it's still gonna to be tough. I think he knows he's pretty much got it wrapped up so he can put it on the line and can take some more risks now. So that's a very good point. We 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 may see him come unstuck at some point. He's gonna keep putting it on the line. So hopefully for the fans, he will mess it up on one lap and start <laughs> seventh, just to make it a bit more fun. Um, but that's a good point.
2: Uh, well, I mean, he, Carl, he started the season a little bit scruffy in qualifying, and like I, you know, Bottas can genuinely take him in in a fight in qualifying. Not not this weekend. It seemed like this was a bit special, um, you know. But he does have a tendency to go all out in uh, the the first part of Q one, not quite nail it, be a tenth behind Bottas, and then he's vulnerable to a, a yellow flag nick or just uh, the the track temperatures changing.
3: Well, it is five to two now in the head to head qualifying battle in favor of Lewis. So I think we have this impression that Valtteri can go toe to toe in qualifying, but I might challenge that. I don't know if that really is playing out to be true so
2: far. Yeah. So that I mean, yeah. So earlier in the season, perhaps what I was saying there will will ring truer uh, but he seems to have just pulled it out of the bank, uh, out of the bag recently with qualifying. And if he if he has, if he has sorted out qualifying and he's qualifying like little glitches, and he's got another five years in the sport, and the regulations don't change as much as everybody wants them to, then uh, you know I- I'm afraid your your hero's seven titles, Kyle could be eclipsed by I don't know 11 Lewis Hamilton titles and uh, we've just lost half the audience thinking about Lewis Hamilton winning 10 titles
4: <laughs> that could quite easily happen I am sad that Schumacher's titles are going to be eclipsed but I'm happy that it's Hamilton doing it a lot of people are going to slate him but he made a good point after the race he goes look I know we'd, everyone want it closer but that's not on me that's not on Mercedes yeah. it's up to everyone else to come and catch us
3: well, exactly. And I think it's all to do with managing viewer expectations. If you just get it in your head now that Hamilton is just going to keep winning and winning and winning, it won't be as painful when it happens.
2: <laughs> wow. That is, the, that is the sound of a defeated um, Ferrari fan. I'll tell you what we'll do, Nick. Just to just to keep you in a good mood for it a little bit longer, we will delay talking about Ferrari and the qualifying and the practice and all that kind of stuff for a, a dedicated Ferrari segment. I think it's time we move on to the race itself. <laughs> Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast, where we love F1, we live F1, and this is our review of the Belgian Grand Prix. Uh, we're going to have a little a look a little bit later on about why the race didn't quite spark off. Uh, we'll look at what's going on at Racing Point with those uh, tactics, um, and we'll have a, a bit of a, a pseudo whose fault is this because uh, the, the the crash wasn't really you know a typical whose fault is this segment. But we did have an interesting talking point rise up from Perez and Gasly, uh, where Perez definitely didn't do anything wrong at all. No, no, no. Let's move on. So that'll be a quick segment. Uh, but for right now, uh, we turn to Matt, Do rumpets to ask where the race was won and lost.
1: And I am here to answer that question Yay. and delightedly. This is such a straightforward one for me. I did not have to dither. I didn't have to go back and do hours of research when I didn't have hours to research. It's very simple. At the start, at safety car, and at the end, our friend Daniel Ricardo played a very big role in messing up the plans of anyone with an eye towards the fast lap. So at the start, crucially, mm. as we all know, Hamilton simply breezed around turn one and was off, and his teammate, Valdry Botas, right behind him, you're thinking, he's got the run down the Kimmel straight. He's going to go outside. He's going to go inside. How many overtakes have we seen in Combe? And yet, no, we're just going to sit there. And in fact, it was Max Verstappen getting all uppity and pulling out. But that really worked out for Daniel Ricciardo's benefit, who, excitingly enough, was side by side into turn five.
2: Uh, so, so two quick points there to pause on. Uh Kyle, Bottas again, just seems to be lacking that something in the first overtaking opportunity of lap one.
4: Uh yes, and also Lewis played quite a clever game. He got a really he was a bit slow on the apex and got a really, really good exit. He'd learnt from previous years when Vettel blasting past him up the camel straight. But um it was more Bottas having to look in his rear mirror than than look forward. I don't I don't think we can we can criticise Valtteri too much on that one.
2: Oh, but that's what all the cool kids are doing. Uh, it, it, I don't know. It, it to suggest that he somehow he wouldn't have pulled out, Willie, uh, on that last straight. It's not like he lifted or did anything. Um, but we've seen Hamilton before be quite brutal, haven't we? Like with with Vettel, you mentioned. Um, he actually, as they went into the dip of Au Rouge, he he like lifted a little bit or delayed getting back on the power. Mm-hmm. Back in the days where you did have a little lift through there, um, you know, I think he delayed getting back on it. So so we know Hamilton was aware of that but surely Bottas was as well and yeah it does feel like he threw away he didn't even come close it's not like he was you know on it and decided to pull out he was just he was nowhere no it was lost on the exit of La Source essentially Mm he
4: he didn't get his run and and rest assured he was Harry Flatters all the way up that straight and probably mashing the overtake button (laughs) um (laughs) And um, if there is one and having to look in his mirrors goes, I'm sure if he was close enough, you know, it is Valtteri 2.785, whatever is on now, is trying to prove that he has got the fight in him. And I'm sure if he was close enough, he would have tried slinging one around the outside or up the inside, but he just he was just nowhere near close enough.
2: Yeah, I we'll, mean we'll we'll talk about the, the Lewis only power mode button in, in in just a bit. But before before we get that, I think that'll be the next thing. But Matt, I just hats off to or shoes off to Daniel Ricardo because he knew he wasn't really in that fight. And you could see on the, the pace early on that the, the top three were disappearing from the Renault, certainly before the safety car period. Um, he got stuck in just for the sake of it. And I saw someone say they were disappointed. I, I thought he really gave it a good go all the way through, you know, through to turn six and seven as well. And apart from not just tagging the rear wing of Max Verstappen, I thought he really added to the spice of that lap one.
1: Oh, he did. And I'm going to disagree with you slightly. I think he was absolutely in it all the way. Now, you are not wrong. Verstappen had pulled a gap to him when the safety car came out. It was about seven seconds. Mm. But it's absolutely clear to me that over the course of the whole race, since everyone went to the hard tire, they might have had a real shot.
3: I was just going to weigh in really fast that I watched Daniel get interviewed after the race, and he absolutely said that he was trying for the overtake, even if he thought that it would be inevitable that he would get yeah. overtaken back. And we have to remember that,
2: um, you know, he did start on the softer compound than Max, which would have helped him off the line a little bit. So, you see, Carl, we have I have this with Miss Apex Racing. Like, generally, I'm racing against the likes of you, Van Jean, and Phil Pot in like karting and I racing, and I generally accept. Oh, they're gonna, I'm just slowing myself down. I'm slowing myself down, just let the mast. Except for some reason with you, where I tend to just throw it down the inside and just use you as a break. I don't know why I've got that mental block in my head of like, oh, it's Kyle, I've got to go get him. Uh, but yeah, a red rag to a bull for you. Uh, but it's, it's a good attitude from, from Ricardo. It, 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 definitely one we can respect.
4: Um, yeah, it was. I was actually, for the sake of the race, I was praying that he wouldn't get ahead of yes. Verstappen and make yeah. it stick because I wanted Verstappen to go and give the Mercedes a hard time and start forcing strategies. So I was quite happy when Max finally got him. But yeah, full trumps for play, for trying. Why not?
2: Uh, okay, Matt, where do you want to go for, for one and lost? Because it's intriguing. Daniel Ricciardo's role in the top three actually is really fascinating today, but you take it where you want.
1: Well, I will. And the one thing we didn't mention. What does come into play a little bit here is that um, Albon lost a place to Ocon at the start. And I think this might have played a role into him being chucked onto the medium tire at the, safe, at the safety car. And the safety car is where we are going next, because that absolutely killed any kind of running long. We did not get to see Renault play out its soft tire strategy with Ricardo against Verstappen and crucially Ocon lost that place back double stacked in the pits to Albon so Albon was promoted a place through the pit stops there but Red Bull confusingly put him on the medium tire and when i say confusingly i mean everybody who came into the pits put the hard tire on except for Albon it was did not look like a complicated decision for most of the teams
2: yeah. and
1: it and and it just what also happened, and I'm going to mention it now, and is that Perez and Gasly, who started on the hard tire, didn't pit. And mm-hmm. what happened was Ricardo and Albin and Ocon came out behind them. And that set up. This is why I think that Ricardo might have had a podium. Anyway.
3: Well, just a quick grammatical pedantic clarification even you say Perez and Gasly didn't pit on the hards but only Gasly had the hards Perez had the softs on so what in you know expletive was that all about not bringing him in he just so, throws
2: his hands in the air nobody knows you no, I was, I was just, look you can guess that I was sitting there on the Fort India sorry damn damn damn, damn come on on the racing point <laughs> Website like refresh, refresh, refresh. Waiting for their their little end of team race report that they do. Um, so I know what Oppmeyer's, uh claimed thinking is on that topic. I'll have a I'll have a little cry about that later. Don't worry. Uh, but Matt, what I, what I was thinking was with Gasly's pace being so impressive on the hards before the safety car, obviously it, it seemed like a no brainer. And I, I hate I hate this to sound like I'm sticking the knife in again to poor old um, Alex Albon, but they've clearly put him on the medium to try and at least keep him in the pack and keep him in the mix i i think they suspected if they put him on the hard he was going to fall back uh, kyle why am i wrong um horner said it
4: live during the race on the pit wall. he said you do the same and you get the same so they were just rolling the dice i don't think they had an awful lot to lose they knew the renault's are going to be close so they thought they'd they'd mix it up a bit as red bull seemed to like to do so i think that's the only reason why they did it
2: okay
1: yeah, I would agree with you. I think it was just sort of the Red Bull just going, well, if we put Albin on the mediums and he's super fast, then we can think about a two stop and or he can mess up. He can mess up another team or, you know, do us some other favor that way. And if not, it's Albin. So who cares? I mean, they don't really say that, but yeah. you know what I mean. They're not going to give away their third place with Verstappen, no. but they will. They will. They are happy to roll the dice with Alvin and cost him a place or two. And in this case, it was only one place. It wound up costing them. Had he been on the hards, I'm not sure yeah. where he would have wound up. But he would have been much more competitive the last six or seven laps of the race.
2: Okay, so are we saying here that that Daniel Ricardo ruined this race because he was in the pit window of everyone? That meant that Red Bulls, the Red Bulls, couldn't roll the dice with the snap. and you just said there they didn't want to give away that third place. And then that meant Bottas had no reason to roll the dice and go for a cheeky two stopper because he essentially had two cars in his pit window. Uh,
1: that is absolutely correct. But who ruined the race was Perez, <laughs> what and Gasly.
2: You're a troll staying at this point. out
1: and putting Ricardo up behind. Now earlier I did mention that at lap eleven, when the safety car came out, the gap from Daniel Ricardo to verstappen was seven seconds when he got past uh, i believe it was uh, gasly ahead of perez when he got past gasly who was ahead of perez after the safety car do you know what the gap to verstappen was 12 seconds of course you don't because i'm the only one who bothered to go look it up it was 12 seconds and do you know how far behind verstappen he finished at the end of the race
2: i think you know i don't
1: three seconds three seconds and change so there it is. The math alone proves that by just over, just under a second, Ricardo could have had a podium without that safety car.
2: Oh, I don't know. I'm not sure about that, Nick, because uh, he's, he's making the case, but we we don't know what pace Red Bull would have done under pressure from uh, from a genuine Renault challenge.
3: Yeah, I'm usually hesitant to go too far into any of these kind of hypotheticals. I hear this question from interviewers to drivers after the race all the time. I heard it again today. Do you think with a few more laps, you could have caught him? And it's like, well, there, there was only 44 laps today. So it doesn't really matter, does it?
1: <laughs> oh, Matt. Yeah, Well, Nick clearly wants to get out of here in 45 minutes with that kind of a mindset, is all I've got to say. <laughs> yeah, and you would be talking about Lando Norris at the end, and I will hand it to you. With one more lap, Norris would have been by Albin, and that lap was denied to him because, you know, I'm a fan, but Ocon made an absolute mistake the penultimate lap out of turn one, and that's why he didn't get round Albin there and give Norris a proper shot down the Kimmel Straight on the last lap. So, I mean, yeah, it seemed like they were sort of at loggerheads all weekend long, Norris and Ocon. They sort of kept on getting in each other's way, uh, but I'm with Norris on this one. Yeah, were there one more lap in the race? I think I think Albon was a sitting duck on those medium tires at that point.
2: I don't know. I've I just I want to see a driver respond in, in Nick's way. I can't I can't stop chuckling about that. If they go, would you have caught him? Oh, well, <laughs> there wasn't that many laps, was there? Just once. Let's have a let's have a racing driver just be super super sarcastic and rude like that. Uh, but not Lewis Hamilton. He's not allowed, Nick. Well, there
3: was a very good example. It was a German language interview with Sebastian Vettel. And they asked him why the car was so slow. And he was like, you asked me that last race and nothing's changed. So if you have any suggestions, you know, basically
2: email us. Yeah. Okay. Good.
1: But I know why the car is so slow, but they just don't want to admit it.
2: Uh, Okay. Yes. Skipping ahead there, obviously. Okay. So we're we're on uh, one and last. I mean... It gets less complicated from here on in. Uh, in the chat room, somebody said it was actually uh, Giovanazzi uh, that, that that ruined the race and spoiled the tactics um, by causing that safety car. Okay, so he's dropped it. Um, Giovanazzi dropping the car doesn't surprise me. Um, I don't find that newsworthy. It's like, yeah, sure. Uh, you may as well tell me Grosjean just tagged someone. Okay, fine. Giovanazzi lost it. Yeah, that's that's something that happens. Uh, but we've seen it a couple of times now, Matt. Where an early safety car has essentially, because we've been on the bubble of of one and two stop, the early safety car has just meant, well, they can just run a bit longer, uh, a few laps behind the safety car, and then and then really that, that has just killed any tyre strategy. So we, we've got this system set up that mixes up the pack at various points, um, but we are vulnerable because, because the tyres the are reasonably good until blow-up time. They're like, yep, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine, blow up. Uh, instead of the old cliff, we've now got the explosion. Uh, yeah, so any kind of safety car now, early on, will 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 inevitably give us a one-stop, it seems. Um, sorry, uh Karl, are you trying to get in there?
4: I was just um, agreeing with you, and if we are going to do it, I won't say much if we are going to do a little section later on why the race didn't spark up, because that plays a bit of a part in it.
2: Well, we can get to that reasonably soon, can't we, Matt?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I just wanted to come in on your tire comment and what the race becomes... And this was an ill-timed safety car for the leaders. On the medium tires, you would have expected them to get to 20, maybe even half or more race distance before bailing on the hards and being able to run at a decent pace. But because they put them on so early in the race, it was always going to be a race of extreme tire management. And this is where we saw Renault really shine on their tires, because even at the very end of the race, they were significantly faster than either the Mercedes or the Red Bull. But it's also where we saw that the top teams really didn't quite have it dialed all the way in because they were struggling losing tire temperatures, bulk tire temperatures, as the tread wore down. They had they had a little too much cooling mm. maybe allowed for in the brake ducts maybe they thought it was going to be hotter, maybe thought it was going to rain and they weren't going to have those tires on. Don't know what it was, but it was clear that of all the people in a position to do good things at the end, Renault had got it absolutely right with their package, whether it just was less degradation on the tires or they got the cooling absolutely perfect. It was really exciting to watch, at least for me.
4: Yeah. And it wasn't the tire dig in the true sense we're sort of used to actually running out of rubber. It was, um, the rubber was okay. Lewis said at the end, he was like, I thought I was getting close to a puncture, but I looked at the tires and there was plenty of rubber left. It just, we just couldn't keep the temperature in the tires. Yeah. So it goes to show the compounds are probably way too conservative.
1: Yeah. But also the track temperatures are, I mean, they didn't even hit 30 C today, which is really so su- I mean, think about where they were in yeah. Silverstone
2: a couple of weeks ago. Oh, okay. Because it was sort of a generally kind of over, overcast day with rain threatening and there was a bit of wind in the air. I've, I've just uh, reminded myself of uh, Bottas' post-race interview where he was talking about the winds kind of facing him uh, and that might be the reason why he was unable to, you know, mount a serious challenge on the the, the Kimmel Straight, and also why after the safety car restart uh, he wasn't able to, to catch him um, as well. But, But then again, I think at this track in particular, the lead car who effectively becomes the safety car, Kyle, has such a massive, massive advantage uh, on deciding when to go. Like, I, I, I don't, in a way, it's good because the leader has earned the lead. So he earned the right to preserve his lead. But it does remove a bit of excitement from a safety car restart.
4: Uh, yeah. Uh, Hamilton referred to this in his post-race interview. He said it was very stressful trying to get the jump on the person behind. And it's very, very important at Spa because you've got, you've got the run to La Source. You've got coming out of La Source and all the way up the Camel Straight. It's a huge potential to be, um, to, to be passed. So he absolutely nailed the restart, but he did catch Valtteri napping a little bit and the little tactics they use, you notice Hamilton is constantly weaving his tires. Valtteri's, going straight not expecting so Hamilton will keep weaving his tyres then all of a sudden go they never straighten up they always look like I'm still warming my tyres now go it's a game and cat and mouse maybe a little bit of luck but he played mm-hmm. it just right and I think he was kind of lording himself afterwards saying yes that was my key
2: moment of the race uh, well who's got the most experience at being in the lead in safety car restarts it's probably Lewis Hamilton isn't it so he's he's pretty good um at that role um, I, I don't think the race was a complete bust. Um, we had some of the late stoppers, you know, looking brilliant going through the field. Got got to watch kind of Perez and Gasly uh, uh, doing some overtakes. It's not what everyone wants. I understand that everyone wants big action up at the uh, up at the top of the field. And I think we've touched on some of the reasons why that battle didn't come alive today. Uh, I will have a quick uh, a quick whinge about rain again. at Nick, people just going on and on about. You know, the cloud cover, it's got a 30% chance of rain on the podium. I I think with rain, just treat it, you know, it's like hoping that every day is going to be your birthday. It's not. Rain in Formula One is something special. Don't think about it. Expectation management, kids. Never, ever think about the rain. And then when it comes, you'll be pleasantly surprised. Uh, But, yeah, obviously, uh, they didn't hammer it as much as normal, but they did do the whole, oh, if it rains, maybe this will save us. It's like, no no, don't rely on the rain to save your race.
3: Yeah, so when you say that maybe the rain would save us, are you talking about the actual commentators or are you talking about like kind of the social media
2: commentary? Well, I think it was both. Not as bad as it was uh, a few weeks back, but yeah, I, I think both.
3: Yeah, so I didn't really hear so much of it this time during the race, but there was kind of a little bit of the, um, well, maybe, Mer- uh, how does how does he even say it? Mercedes. Maybe their tires will explode at the end of the race. And um, I thought it was funny because Crofty was just like, nah, <laughs> it's not going to happen today, <laughs> is it? But um, I, I thought Crofty was was quite negative today. Um, I, I didn't, so when people were complaining Uh, at spain that the race was boring i actually kind of saw where they were coming from maybe even tended to agree but today no i don't understand how you could think today was boring just by the results alone i mean Renault up in p4 and p5 pulling within a single point in the championship behind Ferrari um, and this pace out of nowhere, I I don't know how you can look at that and say that there was nothing going on, nothing to talk about. I, I just don't get
2: it. Oh, I'm the other way to you, Nick. Whereas I thought Spain was genuinely like a fascinating strategic battle. Today didn't quite spark for me, Kyle.
4: No. And I do take a, well, take offense, but I do take a position of, I don't like it was spish- particularly sky and the commentators saying that the race is boring and we need to liven it up. You know, these guys have a responsibility to keep the fans engaged. <laughs> if they start getting negative, I know there was other certain, certain third party formula one uh, media outlets who, who are very negative against formula one. And it's a bit of a case of don't bite the hand that feeds you. This is what sort of makes you, why are you being so negative against it? And it really sort of gets my back up because, you know, it, it's not going to be a thriller minute. You want a thrill a minute, go and watch touring cars, go and watch NASCAR, go and do something else. This is the pinnacle of motorsport. It's not always going to be passes after passes, lap after lap. And the commentators have a bit of a responsibility to not cast doom and gloom over it, which they were
2: doing today. Uh, we're, we're allowed... Are they to, really? Yeah. Go, on, go on, Nick. I, I was gonna, sorry, sorry to interrupt there, Nick. We was just going, we're allowed a couple of misses in the season. It, it, it's completely fine. You need to calm down about that. Um, but yeah, go on, sorry.
3: Oh yeah, no, they really were negative today, uh, a lot more negative than they were in Spain. I don't think they were really negative at all. In Spain, they were really trying to play up whatever small chance of rain. I just wonder what changed in Crofty's mind in the last two weeks that he decided that he wanted to go this route. Is this what he thinks that people want to hear?
2: Ooh, do you know what, Matt? I I think there might be a, a big social media pressure, and and I I believe, and I might be wrong. I believe that either Croft, David Croft, I, I've I've talked about how I'm a fan of his commentary style, and I think he's brilliant, but I, I think he is either overly influenced by what he reads on Twitter, or he's got producers that that hand him stuff because we've we've seen it here with our crew. We've had little tweets go viral or whatever and it suddenly you know it pops up on the commentary, and he they're very much on the bubble of what is happening on social media. And I I just wonder, Matt, if that commentary team almost feels like a guilt with everybody going, oh, it's boring, it's boring. They feel a guilt to kind of be on board with that. But Nick's right. It it has changed.
1: Yeah. I mean, essentially what you're talking about is uh, what we always warn our children about, peer pressure. If Mm. all of your friends jump off a cliff, are you going to jump off a cliff too? I mean,
2: as you know, when all my friends jumped off a cliff, I did jump off a cliff. So, yeah, peer pressure. Yeah, it's it's a big one. So, yeah, so uh, yeah.
3: Oh, yeah, if they're fine at the bottom, yeah, sure. <laughs> uh,
2: anyway, look, we're not going to go down too too negative uh, a, a a route, as you Americans would say. Um, but we can talk about why the the race didn't spark. And uh, Kyle, I think you had some some thoughts on that. Um, let, let let's let's kick off with Matt first, and then we'll go to Kyle.
1: Well, and I'm afraid I don't want to steal Kyle's thunder. No, 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 steal it. It's I'm fine. Going to say,
2: okay, he fine. doesn't matter.
1: Okay, well, no, I mean, he's always nice to me when I visit. So. I, mean, I'll I use, him. I'll use him as a brake
2: in racing, it's fine.
1: Oh, well, yeah, but that's you. Um, no, I want to say the reason is, is the timing of the safety car here is everything. But put the cars on an ultra-long stint on a hard tire, and it was going to always be a case of savage tire management to the end. And for the top three teams, they were just off enough that, that they, were, they were losing seconds a lap the last four or five races. Essentially it meant we were seeing no race at all for the top three positions, that it was set in stone from the moment they they came into the pits. Now it doesn't always have to be that way, but that's the way it turned out. But I will say that at the back, and this is always what bothers me about these races, at the back between Ocon and Albin and Norris, we wound up having a real lovely, lovely battle. That was easily the last ten laps, and we saw we saw an overtake for position on the last lap for fifth position. I mean mm. that's not nothing, especially in the championship for a team like Renault. And I'm really surprised that race direction and and the commentators didn't get get to borrow your phrase stuck into that a little bit more as it was developing.
2: Um. Right okay Kyle remember your point for just a second while I mentioned two chat room comments uh Tuned, Van Bentham, says Spar has uh, rarely has super exciting overtakes and I think that's fair and Ambrose Shepard I think this is a dig uh saying Spanners thinks Crofty is better than Ben Edwards or even Jack Nichols question mark my god only Legard was ever worse no I've defended Crofty, and I think he is a skilled wordsmith um, and he can call a race and build excitement. That's his job. But the the best current F1 commentator, I will go on record now, uh, even over Ben Edwards and the Channel 4 team, is Jack Nichols plugging away, doing the radio stuff on uh, BBC F1. And if Jack Nichols is not the the future of F1 commentary, if Jack Nichols does not end his career as the kind of, um, oh, wow, Murray Walker of, of Formula One, of his generation... Something will have gone seriously wrong. So I'm, I'm defending Crofty. I don't think he's the best F1 commentator out there. Jack Nichols for me, bar none. Kyle, have I put you off your point enough yet? Somewhat. Let's okay, okay. okay. So we're talking about, you know, <laughs> why why the, why the yeah. race didn't spark. Yeah. Obviously, Matt's laid out some reasons there why there was spark. There was some stuff um, to watch in the race. Hmm. Clearly, people want it up front. Completely understand that. Um, but I know you had some suggestions as well.
4: Yeah, it was, well, one Matt's already touched on, it was a rather unfortunately sort of um, timed safety car. But one of my gripes around that is the tyres are too conservative. Um, barely over a quarter race distance, the teams shouldn't have the option of bolting on a set of tyres to go to the mm-hmm, end. Mm-hmm. That shouldn't be an option. The tyres are too, too conservative. Now, there's a whole, there's a few different things around this. We saw there were, two on the aggressive side at silverstone but it forced a brilliant strategic race so you could do that so there is one other slight fix you could maybe do to to prevent these bolting on the tires on an early safety car and running to the end and that's make them use all three compounds if you force them to use all three compounds you're going to get rid of that you're also going to get rid of the tire management because they're going to be able to pretty much push flat out now the tire degradation and the managing The Renaults clearly didn't have to do much managing. Ricky Ricciardo said he was pushing the whole way and they managed to keep the temperature up. It wasn't uh, the the tyre tread wearing Mm. down, which shows the compound is far too hard. So my gripe are these easy one-stop races. I think they should try to get the tyres. So the default strategy, the fastest way, would be a two-stop then a three-stop is a risk or one-stop is a risk for the alternate strategies. Then we're going to get variation. If there's more than one stop, you get the strategy playing out and people can try other stuff. With these tyres, we're mm. a bit stymied with one-stop strategies. They all come into the pits. Then you're going to have to do it on the track, which is even harder if some teams are trying to manage the tyres and all the drivers are being told not to push.
2: And Matt, I know this is tyres and you're dying to get in. I just want to challenge Kyle on one thing. If we have so many mandatory pit stops because we could just say seven if you wanted, if we have mandatory pit stops to the point that you never really have to worry about tyre wear, uh, you just have to go, oh, okay, uh, I've got to come off the softs now, I've got to get on the softs for a minimum amount of time. All you're really doing is choosing how many on each tyre, but you're never having to worry about the grip going off so you're not tyre saving. Is that not just the same as having a compound that can easily last the whole race? Because Pirelli could Mm. produce uh, a tyre that you could push on the entire time, uh, for forty-four laps, what's the difference in uh, you? All you've done is you've just added three pit stops into that equation. It's no, it's no different.
4: Well, it is. It's very different because then around that, you know, somebody could—if you can push flat out for twenty laps, somebody's going to push flat out for fifteen laps, put some new tires on, and have five laps extra on new tires to jump people in the pit stops, and that's going to cause a chain reaction and cause people to react or cause people to not react. It's what it's going to give us is variation, variation in strategies. Um, which is what we want, and that's what makes it interesting. That's why F one's an intrigue; it's a high speed game of chess. And having only one stop and conservative compounds that can easily get to the end of the race takes that away from us. That's what we don't like,
2: Matt.
1: So my only comment regarding Kyle's genius plan to require them to use <laughs> all the compounds regardless, which is you know it's an idea, and it it could it it will certainly provide a different form of racing, is that if you do that, then no one can run a one stop. So that's the problem. Like if I'm a team and I want to run a one stop and I have to use all three compounds, I can't. So maybe it should be like pool. You have to declare ahead of time, your shot. (laughs) You write it down and you give it to the stewards. Mm. And then it's a time penalty. If you change your mind, I don't know, but, but you know, we could get clever there, but just just logically speaking your suggestion and then your subsequent talking didn't agree with each other.
2: Uh, we'll go to Nick first but uh, Nick if if you can run uh, a a one stop if you if you could do it it should be super risky and you should risk your tires running out and you should be slower.
3: Exactly. There has to be some sort of trade-off if you know the tires are going to last to the end no matter what then yeah the fewer the stops the better but if they might explode at the end then that would give you that variation i was gonna very sarcastically suggest that maybe they should have to do a joker lap because then that might give an opportunity for an undercut and an overcut as well
2: without adding pit stops uh i, I don't think that's terrible kyle a little joker lap pit lane uh, it works in other motorsports
4: uh i do it's a little bit gimmicky and even my 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 um my three compound have to use them is a bit gimmicky i just want to clarify that the ideal situation would be control it with with the compound, so you make it so it will naturally evolve that the two-stop is the fastest way. But they have the option to go one or three, and I'd love to see that. But of course, that is very hard to do. I only said about using the three-tire compounds because it will enforce a minimum of two stops.
2: Um, but, but also, Matt, before we panic, we should just you know remember that you know Spa is is a track now where cars can take a lot of the corners increasingly flat out. It's it's like Silverstone in that there's very few braking zones. So, you know, it could just be a case of, well, it's an old track and it's it's not really designed for these modern F1 cars. So we come to Spa, we accept that it's going to be a race like this. We go to Monaco, don't we, Nick? We go to Monaco, even though that's a freaking disaster. Uh, you just have to be there, is what I'm told. You uh, just have I'm to in a tri- be there. Why aren't you in a VIP balcony with me? You have to be there. Sorry, Nick. Got off okay. my chest.
3: I am going to try to uh, pronounce this um, chatter's name correctly. It looks uh, like Seard Jan Henstra.
2: Just say it with confidence. It says that maybe, yeah. yeah,
3: maybe we should have Ferrari produce the tires for extra excitement. I'm going <laughs> to I'm gonna take that and tweak it a little bit. If you have... No, no, no. It gets better. If you have these mandatory tire compounds, you have to use all three. For one of them, yeah. the Ferrari strategy team should have to tell you when.
0: Okay. That would
2: really throw a wrench in. That is that is cruel. That's cruel. Uh, okay, so Matt, I, I suggest um, we move on from this. You know how to fix the the race thing. Look, it's Spa. Um, it's one race. It's unlucky we've had a couple of races on the on the trot that haven't sparked. But you know, no panic from this call sign.
1: No, no panic. And in fact, we can go back to such long ago races as uh, Barcelona last week, was it? Mm, Two weeks ago? two weeks ago. Where we saw the one-stoppers making progress against the two-stoppers, and it was a brilliant tactical race. But Formula One is chess. It's not chess with explosions. It's not chess with firearms. (laughs) It's not chess with random things falling from the ceiling and landing on you. It's chess. At the end of the day, you're going to have matches like the ones we had today, where you have to understand what you're looking for and find it to really enjoy it. And that's one of the reasons we love it.
2: Yeah, and it's, uh, you know, I tried to make my wife fall in love with Colchester United and we went down to the Western Homes Community Stadium on, uh, on Boxing Day. And that was a mistake. So it was a very cold 90 minutes and in the whole game there was two penalties uh, and that they're the only things that happened in that entire 90 minutes and she never went again. You're going to get the odd nil nil at Spa and Barcelona.
0: A lot can happen in the next three years, like a chatbot, maybe your new best friend, but what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times.
2: All right, let's um, let's move on. I wanted to briefly touch on um, uh, the Mercedes driver battle because again, I know we're 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 leaning on the Sky commentators a little bit, but Martin Brundle's sitting there just willing on Bottas, going, "Oh come on, oh Bottas, oh come on, please, please try and beat Lewis Hamilton, oh go on." And you know, I I don't think that's a realistic proposition. So as good as Bottas is, and as fair as Mercedes are, they're not going to do. Uh, anything like they used to do for Rosberg. They were not going to ever say to him, right, you can have a different strategy. We're going to split you guys up and you can battle it out at the end. There's a lot of code coming out of Mercedes at the moment. Don't use that engine mode. Stay off the kerbs. Stay off the kerbs seems to be a big one uh, from the Mercedes strategy team. I, I think stay off the kerbs curb, means bring it home. That's essentially code for for bring it home. And they even had... You know, this engine mode that they're saving for battling against competitors. And and they said, you know, we agreed to not use this against each other. The question would be, I guess, from, from people hoping that Hamilton will be toppled, is why not? Why not, uh, Kyle, especially when Verstappen looked like he wasn't a threat anymore, when Verstappen's looking backwards to the Renaults, which, by the way, the Renaults were, were back there in 4th and 5th, why? Why not let Bartas go? Okay, go. Okay, push as much as you want. They're still in their first engine. You want to go and catch him and go and challenge him. Use all the engine mode to go. But it's ridiculous and it's counterproductive. Why? Mm. You know,
4: why are you going to waste ammo shooting yourself? Essentially, yeah, which is yeah. what's happening there for Mercedes. They're like, we're not going to use it against each other. We're saving it if if Max does come up and start giving us a hard time and split the strategy. We have we have some sweets left in the bag, mm-hmm. so we can play with. Uh, it's pointless. Yeah, shooting yourself in the foot, fighting yourself. So anybody calling, saying this is silly and this called off and can't fight Hamilton, mm. it, I think that's a bit ridiculous. It's
2: it's it's just pure logic what Mercedes were doing there. Oh, okay. Like right. I'm not going to say they're saying he can't race Hamilton. What I'm saying is that they understand. I think I said this after the Barcelona review, Matt. You know, when Hamilton was catching up with Bottas, they said, you guys are free to race. Today, with Bottas behind, obviously trying to win his own race, it's no, not that engine mode stay off the curbs. I I don't blame Mercedes. You know, all the, the great top teams in history have favored a driver. I, I think you'd be mad to not favor Lewis Hamilton uh, as your out-and-out number one driver. I'm just acknowledging that it exists.
1: Yeah, I get that. I'm not sure I agree with it in this context, though. I, I am accepting of their explanation that what they were talking about with regards to that specific engine mode was that, we agreed not to use it against each other in case we needed it to defend for max late in the race. That's that's that, that makes too much logical sense to me yeah. to think that it's some kind of, um, some kind of code speak that you're no longer allowed to race Lewis because his wing is broken, which by the way, did you catch that? No. Uh, Jack Nichol or not Jack Nichols, uh, Julian Palmer says, I think, I think Hamilton's got a problem with his wing. It was right around the time when they told boat has to mm. push in the race. And and then uh, Benson agrees with me, and then uh, and then Sky, and then next thing I know, someone's saying like Mercedes is saying there's no problem with Hamilton's wing, so so like yeah. that's how much attention Mercedes is paying to what's being said yeah.
2: while the race is going on. Uh, quickly, uh, clappers in the chat saying Spanners don't become a conspiracy theorist. I don't think it's a conspiracy to say that Lewis Hamilton is the number one driver at Mercedes. I don't think that's a conspiracy at all. And um, Udevia is saying they got a one-two. That's what you do to get a one-two, Kyle.
4: Yeah, and once they told Bottas to give it everything, did he cruise straight up to the back of a Hamilton? No. No, I think even if he got given the extra modes, Hamilton had him covered every day of the week. So it's just not really an argument in know, the thing. They've, they have used their tools effectively
2: and logically. Uh, that okay. is it. Okay, uh, Kyle, let's stay with you. Uh, Renault, Um, Wow like it
4: yeah it's well it's good we we want to see renault doing good i know they're not the most popular team but they are one of only three <laughs> true manufacturers yeah. in formula one and you want to see them up there um you don't want to see them struggling it's a bit embarrassing where they are to be honest i said there's only three of them who build the chassis and their own engine there's ferrari mercedes and renault we'd love for another one to come into the sport but there aren't any a true there aren't many true manufacturers out there so we want to see renault having a rise, And this just goes to show that their low downforce package is very, very good. And Cyril Abitable was very quick to point out that their engine's quite pokey. Hence, does any other team want to be a customer next year?
2: Yeah, don't say that out loud. He said the the quiet bit loud, didn't he, Matt? Uh, Look, Matt, um, Renault were the third best team today. And uh, you could even argue the second best team because both their drivers were able to drive their cars effectively into high point scoring positions.
1: Uh, you could indeed. And if I was a team like Haas, I might be thinking very seriously mm. about that at this point, because if anything has become clear to me over the course of my off piece discussions with people who are not on the show right now, because they have contracts with other networks, <laughs> it's the fact that <laughs> the fix for Ferrari is not going to come next year. No, Nick. Not at all.
3: So it's, it's time for numbers with Nick. So mm. um, third... Third and sixth gets you 23 points. Fourth and fifth gets you 23 points. Ooh. But who had fastest lap again? Oh, tell me, tell me. I've missed it. Daniel Ricciardo. <laughs> so Renault scored one more point than Red Bull today. They were better in the way that that is measured.
2: So Renault finished second today. Is that what you're confirming, Nick? Yes. Yeah. Well, that's an incredible That's an incredible result. And the thing is, if you take, a, take Verstappen and the Mercedes uh, away, Kyle they they looked like a genuine threat almost to the top 3 um they were in everyone's pit window and they were miles ahead of uh, in performance of their direct competitors now is it something about barcelona and uh, sorry barcelona spa and will that be continued at monza
4: uh yes it's their low downforce package really works they they proved this last year that their low downforce package seems to work and i don't think the cars too far departed from what it was last year so um so yeah i actually wouldn't have been surprised if we saw renault
2: leading into les combs (laughs) who suggested that we should have a a competition of, of who could say that corner name the worst that, it's not got less that comped, quickly, is it? <laughs> okay, but yeah, no, he makes a point. You know, they could have been there, uh, Le Zacomu. No, I can't win. Carl already won.
3: Nick. <laughs> okay, so fourth and fifth for Renault today was their best result since they finished fourth and fifth last year at Guess Which Track,
2: Hungary. No, it's got to be Spa,
3: Monza. Oh, is it? Oh, okay. So yeah, we just, so, so we... that should be promising
2: too. So what is it then, Carl? Why? Why would there Low. So what are we saying, that they, they can't bolt downforce on, but they're good at, at stripping it off?
4: Yeah, I think it's not been a secret that they've been lacking downforce on that car. Um, there was some questions and rumours about their diffuser being a bad design the last sort of couple of years. Um, and yeah, their, their low downforce package just seems to work. It happened last year, it's happening the same this year, it's just suited to their car. So I bet they are very happy that the Bahrain Grand Prix is going the second one is going to be on the fast perimeter <laughs> circuit. I think Renault rubbing their hands in glee with that.
1: Oh, you know that they are. Uh, what what interests me is that uh, in interviews after practice on Friday, uh, Daniel Ricardo said that when we put this skinny wing on, the low down force package wing on, he's like it's like the front tires and the back tires are working together better than they ever do with any other package that we have. That's interesting. And then after the race today, they were interviewing uh, Lando Norris, and he said that, yeah, at tracks like this, um, where you have a uh, need for high straight line speed, you have slow speed corners and high speed corners and not too many medium speed corners, or vice versa with a high and medium speed. I don't really remember what he said. He said, those are all of Renault's strengths. Mm-hmm. And he says, and Monza next week. Has even fewer deficits for them than Spa did this week. So, barring the weather playing a major factor, I think you could easily you could easily be looking properly at a Renault uh, in a podium position next week.
2: It's not unprecedented, is it, Carl? I mean, we saw last season as well. We had the Ferrari summer, didn't we? Where you know, there <laughs> all, all the tracks where they could run at low downforce and. Um, <clears throat> optimize their fuel flow <laughs> yeah uh, so you know we've got we've got Renault having their little um, mid-season kind of burst
4: yeah I just wanted to get in quick on what's just said and a few people have mentioned it in the uh, comment yeah, section yeah. as well Um, I'd love it I'd love the situation to arise with a Renault on the podium and Cyril having to get the tattoo because I have a rather lovely suggestion for what his tattoo could be I think he should just have the name Christian written on his behind
2: Oh that no. would be lovely absolutely gorgeous that i I have a friend who occasionally listens in i i'm not gonna I'm not gonna name ash McCallum because that's that's not fair is it that's effectively doxing uh but he has uh his band name tattooed all up the side of his in six inch high letters renegade and that was the band he was in when he was sixteen and i, I believe that was from a bet as well so well done Reno uh Renault Cyril adbittable for making a a tattoo bet. Am I the only non-tattooed person on the panel? I can't imagine Nick's got one. No, me and Nick, sensible, see. Whereas Kyle and uh, Kyle actually has a tattoo of that beard, all right, underneath his beard. So if he ever shaves, it's just a tattoo of a beard.
4: It's like women have the eyeliner sort of tattooed on sometimes. Exactly. I, if I just tattooed a beard on, I don't have to do anything. I can just walk out and I'm bearded. It just works.
2: And
3: Nick, it's you like, could, uh...
2: yeah. Go on, Nick. Oh,
3: it's like Batman's cowl. If you take off
2: his mask, then there's just another bat mask. There we go. And Nick, you could never risk a tattoo because you change your allegiances too often because you were a Ferrari fan. And I picked on you a little. Um, I remember on your third or fourth debut, making you particularly sad um, when Sebastian Vettel went off in the rain in 2018, I think, uh, at Hockenheim. And, you know, and I said to you, look, Nick, look how how bad it went in front of his own fans, Nick. And I remember you were particularly upset at me then. So sorry for goading you in the past for being not only a Vettel, but also Ferrari fan.
3: it It was even worse, I think, than you described, because I think after you said in front of his own fans, then you leaned in. His own fans like really, really twisted the knife. But so, are you finally
2: recognizing the legitimate results of the vote of Forexit? So, what when people said you could leave uh, your Forexit, your Ferrari fandom to be a a Red Bull fan? I'm not sure, I'm not sure where I sit on it. I think his mum was in the crowd watching, I think Vettel's mum was in the crowd, and she brought all the family as well to say, look at my son, look at my son, he's a really good racing driver. And then he really slowly went into the tyre barriers in the rain. Uh, no, look, so we'll talk Ferrari, Nick. I still treat you as a Ferrari fan. I'm not quite respecting Forexit or Nick Forexit. I, I I, am going to make a proposition here. It's going to upset some people, but it's. A, I'm going to put it in question form, so you can't really blame me. We'll go to Nick first. Nick, is Ferrari, the 2020 Ferrari team, the worst pound-for-pound team in F1 history? In F1 history? I mean, I haven't been watching Formula 1 since
3: 1950. Okay. But I would not be at all surprised to find that out if there was some, you know, just dollars spent per position in the Constructors' Championship uh, achieved. You know, you could do it by, you know, the, the money that you spend versus the prize money that you
2: get back based on that position. I, I would think they'd have to be right up there with the worst of them. Uh, so obviously there's some, uh, you know, some, some different ways you could track that, Kyle. But, you know, I'm thinking like as a proportion of what all the teams spend, if you look at the percentage that is Ferrari's available spend and their historic payments, uh, locking out the seventh row battling for 13th, 14th, 15th place, finishing 17th and 20th in FP3, genuinely on pace, you're going to be hard-pushed to pick a worse pound-for-pound team. And and pound-for-pound, I know it's a boxing term, but in in Formula 1, it's generally performance versus dollars, isn't it?
4: At the moment, yeah. For this season, yes. Overall, I think that titles Toyotas every day of the week, is it not? But but this year, yes, Ferrari, are, it's quite a spectacular fail if you're looking at it from budget versus results. But in recent history, they haven't been too bad. They've used it to nab a few race wins and take the title race up to n- up to the end. But this year, I agree with you. Overall, I
1: disagree with you. So you brought this up, and I, I was surprised because, you know, relatively speaking, they've had at least one car in the points pretty much the whole season. They've had two podiums. Now, granted, we know their car is wretched, we know that Vettel's having a horrible time of it. And we know that they are suffering immensely from their deal with the FIA and having given up all of the things they could never be proved to have been doing, but have now agreed to not do um, of their own accord and to tell the FIA how they might have done the things that they weren't ever actually proved to have been <laughs> doing, but that it certainly looks like circumstantially they might have been doing. Our
2: lawyers, thank so, you. So,
1: yeah, you're welcome. Um, so I thought about this and I thought about this, uh, is no, I'm not a mathy person, but you know, I, I thought about this from a math point of view, if we're talking about points per dollar, well, that's easy. Uh, any non-scoring team has a zero in the denominator yeah. and that answer is infinity. So they have to be the worst. That's yep. just okay. Done. That's fine. If we turn it the other way around, we have to get rid of the teams that don't score points because the answer mm. is zero and therefore meaningless. But uh, let's take Haas. Haas is at the bottom of the championship chart. They should have two points. They were robbed. They only have one, thanks to the time penalty. I resent that, but whatever. It is what it is. They have one point, and let's say their budget is roughly eighty-five million dollars, right? Mm. Okay. I mean, I mean that's that's probably it's probably closer to hundred, but let's say eighty-five because we know they're skimping this year. Um, if we give them eighty-five million dollars, they've scored one point. Ferrari has scored sixty-one points. That means they'd have to have a budget well over a billion dollars. To match Haas. So that makes Haas the worst. Mm-hmm. If you just look at the math. Oh,
2: okay. If, well, if I don't think
1: you can sustain that argument. I don't okay. think you can sustain if, that if argument.
2: We're, if we're, so if, that's if we're talking dollars per point. Um, well, I don't know. I, I liked my argument. I think where why I've come to that conclusion is um, maybe I'm using it as relative to expectation. So a new team like Haas with a, a big kind of push of investment, you know it's going to take some time. They're going to have ups and downs. Ferrari are a, a top, top top tier team with the biggest or the second biggest budget and you have to look at it carl and say you know they're not they're not delivering at all
4: it's yeah it's objective versus subjective Mm. so objectively they are not subjectively then then yes the the amount they get back from the fia and the expectation on them yeah they're pretty woeful in that aspect
3: Right. So I'm just looking at the last year of Toyota F1 on Wikipedia here. (laughs) They came in fifth in the constructors, which is where Ferrari currently are, with only one point clear of Renault, though. And we already have higher expectations for Mm. Renault than we do for Ferrari at Monza, at least. So that's going to, that's going to switch. I'll put money on, on that, on that switching. And they had five podiums that year so i mean at a cursory glance it looks like toyota left off in a better place than ferrari are currently finding themselves in
2: and i will say carl uh, the the ferrari podiums have been somewhat fortunate you know if you have 18 cars in front of you explode tires then yes you're going to get a podium.
4: Yes, that is also fortunate. And the final year of Toyota in Formula One, I believe, was 2009, and they were one of only three teams to exploit the double diffuser. So they end up getting a big jump on the rest of the field there. So they were quite flattered by their final year in Formula One.
2: Okay, they were fifth the year before too. Oh, well, I've got that wrong, haven't I? You shouldn't have gone uh, stat to stat with uh, with Nick there. Uh, Matt?
1: Yeah, you always got to be careful with people who you know will look things up. <laughs> This is what I have found. Uh, But I'm not looking things up, but I'm going to make a little bit of a cheeky argument here, which is um, both Vettel and Leclerc said today that, well, what you're seeing is our real car. This is it. This is the best it can do. Mm. And I'm going to sit here and argue that any team who has that car as their best car, and also whether it's a luck or not, has multiple podiums at this point in the season, cannot be as bad a team... (sighs) As we would like to make them out to be. I think you're right about expectations, though. Mm. And if you say Ferrari is the most disappointing team dollar for dollar, yeah, I think they've won that outright this season. And even I, despite my enjoyment of arguing with you, wouldn't argue with you about that.
3: Nick. You guys enjoy arguing with each other. No. Um, I was just going to say, people who look things up, also known as accountants.
2: (laughs) Oh yeah, accountants—they're so they're so interesting. I I I don't want to give away stories, Nick, but I did. You know, you told us about the time that you got home from work, you ran upstairs, you saw your wife standing next to the bed, you picked her up, you threw her on the bed, and vacuumed the spot where she'd been standing. That's that's accountants. Is
3: that offensive? I. I need somebody to weigh in in the chat who may or may not be an accountant and let me know if I should be offended on our behalf or not. I, that didn't make
1: any sense.
2: Uh, please tell him the correct amount of offense he should take there. Uh, tell you what, Matt, uh, let's move on a tiny bit after you say your thing.
1: Right, well, I just wanted to bring this up for general consideration. Um, uh, Mikey P in the chat says, restructuring at Ferrari caused some key personnel to move to Mercedes, who spilled the beans, blah, blah, yak. yack. Uh, but it's, I've been thinking about this. Engines have a long development cycle. And it just seems to me that whatever Ferrari was up to that they didn't get caught at last year, but one presumes have more or less admitted to to the FIA, is something that preceded current Ferrari's management, that it was a scheme that was implemented probably well before anyone who's currently in charge was in charge of anything or had mm. anything to say about it, so that when you have a go at the mess that Ferrari is right now, to a certain extent you're looking at people who are left holding the bag and i just i just wanted to throw that okay. out there for our audience to think about before we moved on maybe also further to that when they knew the
4: directors were coming out last year and they knew they'd been rumbled and they pretty much were going to know that they were going to be down on power for the following year why did they carry down this carry on down this high drag route that they keep saying they're blaming on their lack of straight they line haven't. speed it kind of it yeah it kind of it makes no sense <laughs>
1: Because all that development happened before the yeah. agreement happened, like like essentially you were stuck, you were so stuck with the fruits of that power unit because your chassis, your entire aero department, your fuel, your lubricants, your oil, yeah, yeah, is all based on the what they give you, and then when it all gets taken away, I mean they even have the wrong gear ratios for the power that they have now. That's how bad it
2: is. So if you are Alpha Romeo. Uh, or has, um, you always didn't have the same budget for aerodynamics. So in a way you're in a slightly better position at some tracks uh, than Ferrari because your aero philosophy has always been don't get in the way of the good power unit with the extra fuel. Uh, you know, don't bolt on downforce for the sake of it. Let's stay slippery. Let's stay fast and give ourselves an advantage um, in the race. Yeah. So uh, apart from obviously Ferrari being a little woeful overall, uh, clearly not all is well in the strategy department. Their tyres weren't ready uh, at the the safety car. Um, it just seemed like, you know, they didn't know what was going to happen with the strategy Vettel's there, going. Don't even think about pitting me. I'm going to go and get these guys. You know, this is not happening. He's calling the strategy from from the race. It's it's hard to argue that Ferrari is a slick organization. And I, I tell you what, Nick, that debacle was quickly followed by Mercedes just doing the slickest double stop ever. And you just go, ah, oh, oh, look at what you could have won.
3: Well, I and I can't believe I'm going to do this, but I am going to defend them a little bit. <laughs> go for I it. I mean, where where Leclerc was on the track. I just don't think there was a lot of time (laughs) to get ready. And um, it's a long lap to come all the way around. And I mean, I don't know, but they probably, they probably should have waited a lap to pit him when they were ready because there was quite a lot of debris and it seemed like uh, it was going to take a minute to clear.
2: I don't know, Carl. My counter argument is that, you know, you know, you're going to have to pit at some point. I'd be super ready for that all the time. Um, I doubt he would have pitted without the call to do
4: so. I mean, um, they would have told him box, 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 box. So that's on them to be to be ready. I think it was just a bit of maybe Nürburgring 1999
2: Ferrari kerfuffle. I've done it before. Let's play a game. Whose fault is it? We've been denied proper. Whose faults is it? So I'm shoehorning these these two in. It's, it's not really whose fault is it, but let's use it as talking points for the the racing. Um, we're heading off to kind of racing point here, where uh, Stroll again uh, got the jump on Perez at the start, and Perez had an inexplicable call. It says, Matt, uh, you know, sorry, everyone was saying, why not obviously go in and get your free free tyres. Otmar, Otmar Schaffnauer uh, had said in the Racing Point race report that they thought that Perez, you know, he's got a certain set of skills with with tyre management. They thought if he could eke it out, they knew he was going to suffer after the safety car period, but if they could eke it out, he would get a tyre advantage. And had we had a Silverstone-type scenario with exploding tyres and people going for second stops, maybe Perez suddenly jumps up and ends up ahead of the, the Renaults. Who knows? Uh but it it clearly didn't work out for him.
1: Yeah, well, had they not most ridiculously run in the mediums in Q2 for their first run. Yeah. uh, Yesterday, I might be more believing of this. Oh, Sergio is so good with tires. We figured we could put him out there on paper (laughs) napkins and he could run the full race without ever having to stop. I mean, come on. I don't care what you are thinking. A pit stop is 24 plus seconds Mm -hmm. of lost there's just no excuse for not getting him off of those tires. And if he's that good with tires, being on the hard tire to the end of the race is going to be nothing but an advantage for him because his will be so much better than others at the end of the race. But the fact of the matter is that neither driver did particularly well on the long set because Racing Point still haven't figured out really how to run their tires with this new aero philosophy, which they totally didn't copy.
3: God's Wow. Matt, they they have worked Matt right up at whatever they call that team now, racing point. Yeah. I mean that is the most animated, like that's what you know what really boils Matt's
2: blood. Bad tire strategy. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> it does.
2: Uh of it's course. True. I mean, the conspiracy theory behind that is, oh look, uh, you know, Perez is getting, you know, the bad tactics again. And that obviously as a Perez fan. That is the route I went down immediately, Nick. I was like, oh, my God, look, Stroll's got the good strategy. This is this is the worst. That's what I was going to say. I heard the, I heard about that conspiracy theory from you. Yeah, no, I know. Look, David um, Shankel Spanners, does... This is in the chat room. Spanners, does Stroll suck less than you thought, or does Paris suck more? It's definitely one or the other. Oh, come on, behave yourself. Uh, Stroll's getting better and better every year. Other people wouldn't have had the chance to get better and better. Um, but he's... He's always been steady, steady. He's never been crashy. He's never been Maldonado or Grosjean. He's never been like a rocket that may or may not land. He's always been steady as it goes. And that's why his best results have come from attrition and being there, surviving when other people haven't. And that's great. And he's got faster and faster and he's got on it. I don't think Perez is particularly shining this season so far, but David Shank, Shankly, Shankle in the chat if you want to take a shiny tenor for charity over which driver is going to be ahead on the points by the end of the season you'd be a fool to say it wouldn't be stroll uh, it wouldn't be perez over stroll um right now stroll is putting in a solid performance but i don't think that if stroll is doing the best now here we go if stroll is performing better out of the two racing points that means that racing point haven't optimized their full potential I think if Perez unlocks and starts having a better season uh, you'll see the racing point showing more potential. I still believe that uh that Sergio Perez is a, a faster driver over race pace than Lance Stroll. Lance Stroll has a uh, a punchant for getting off the line quickly which may uh, which may ruin uh, some of Perez's races, but there hasn't been some big seismic shift where Stroll is suddenly, you know, a, a top flight driver and Perez hasn't become a bad driver overnight. So let's see uh, you know how this season shakes out a bit more. Um, I don't think there's a conspiracy theory with Stroll, with Perez getting bad tactics or bad cars. Um, I believe Otmar, Mr. Otmar, Otmar, first name terms, a bit familiar that. But uh, I, I believe him when he said, you know, we've got a driver like Perez who can do these things. So we gave that a go. Fine by me. Uh, let's talk about Perez and Gasly, Kyle. You took issue with this incident because you compared it to, um, you know, you're a big Schumacher fan. You compared it Mm -hmm. to Schumacher, Barrichello. Tell us how you saw that incident and just remind anyone uh, who, who wasn't paying attention to that. What happened?
4: Yeah. So Gasly got side by side, fair and square with Perez coming out of La Source. They're heading down to Eau Rouge, just like the two Force Indias, which they were at the time with him and Ocon a couple of years ago. Perez gives him the squeeze against the wall. They are wheel to wheel. And then Perez is the, the second movement that Perez makes that I don't like. Gassi he's already squeezing him. Then Perez makes a bit of a sudden move to the wall. And there is about an inch either side from tyre to wall. That as, as Bundle said, that would have been a plane crash if that would have happened. It was awful. I think the only reason why Perez has squeezed him up to the wall and done that little jink is to try and scare him and try to get him to back out. And I thought that was very very bad and it was just like just as bad as Schumacher did to Barrichello in the Hungarian Grand Prix in 2010 which he got absolutely slated for but this seems to have gone underneath gone under the radar no one's really picked him up on it and at the time I leapt off the sofa and screamed some comment which said dirty and something I can't repeat on air um Afterwards, uh, I was quite appalled. Uh, and if I was Gasly, I'd be definitely going to have a chat with Perez because that was not on. You don't squeeze someone that hard against the wall at 300 kilometres an hour.
2: I agree. It was a very aggressive move. Are we really comparing that to the Schumacher-Barrichello thing? Because, I mean, Gasly, yeah. Gasly left his foot in and they didn't crash. Whereas had Barrichello yeah. not pulled out, there was a big, big accident happening. Gasly, Gasly, Bar- Gasly completed the overtake and was able to complete the overtake, to be fair. Yeah, uh,
4: well, 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 Barrichello didn't back out. Barrichello still made the overtake. He was going to Schumacher, actually started closing ah. the door before Barrichello was alongside. So I'd say Perez is actually worse than the Schumacher because they were side by side and he carried on squeezing him. As Iglofu, or is it Greg, points out in the chat room, sorry if I've just murdered your name, Schumacher also got a five-place penalty for the next race for that as well. So I'm amazed that this Perez... Instant has gone unnoticed because I thought it was worse than the Schumacher one.
2: Okay, would you agree with this, Kyle? And I'm, obviously, I'm defending Perez. Uh, Schumacher did not technically leave a car's width, and Barrichello had to go off track. Perez well, he did. Well, Perez did leave a car's width. I mean, not much more than that, but he did. And the proof of that is that Gasly didn't hit the wall.
4: Um. Well, Schumacher left the car's width as well because Barrickiller didn't hit the wall; it was up against
2: the pit wall. I uh, no, so, no, hang on, so, Carl. Carl I, I, I might be misremembering this, but I'm pretty sure the wall wasn't was was approaching and Barrick. But when they actually, when Schumacher moved over, it was actually clear space to the right hand side. Whereas, obviously, no, in this incident, the wall. A was, are you sure? Okay, I'm pretty sure. All right, okay, i
4: um, I'm pretty sure. I think it's the same. So Schumacher was trying to slam the door to to. To say to Barrichello, don't go there. And that's exactly what Schumacher said in his defence. He was like, don't go that side because I'm closing the door. Barrichello just got his front wing in and just kept it in rather bravely. The Gasly and Perez thing is they are side by side down that whole straight. And Perez knew full well what he was (laughs) doing. So I actually think it's worse than the Schumacher thing. Like he knew that and he tried to do the scare tactic, but it's too dangerous.
1: To be fair to him, he's learned. I mean, there wasn't an actual crash, as may have happened in years past to certain other teammates who are no longer on that team.
4: Yeah, it was the exact same thing. He squeezed him straight into the wall. And you know how that. So he hasn't learned his lesson and he's done it again. But yeah, I I would have penalized him or given him a very stern talking to on officially strongly worded letter from the stewards if I was on the steward board. Johnny
2: Herbert was the steward. So, you know, we've got to trust Johnny, haven't we? No. as much as you trust his post race analysis
4: comments and stuff like that, yeah.
2: I really like Johnny Herbert. You lot, you lot are mean. You lot are mean. Let's move on to the podium. The Spa Grand Prix, the Belgian Grand Prix of 2020, uh, had so much promise, uh, fizzled a little in the strategy department, but has nonetheless played an important part in the 2020 season. We've seen Renault stake their claim in this race as the second best team of the weekend. And perhaps they're going to have a little summer period, a mid-season period, it's kind of autumnal now, isn't it? The heaters on in the shed. A little mid-season period of showing what they can really do and showing us their teeth. We saw exactly, I think, how far a top team with all the budget and resources in the world, can fall. Uh, you'll see a team that are looking very nervous towards their thousandth Grand Prix appearance at Magello and their home track at Monza. It's going to be very uncomfortable for uh, Ferrari. And apologies to the non-Hamfosi out there. We have seen a legendary dry. Oh, they're going to hate me for this one. Um, don't email me, spannersready ready anymore. Missed Apex podcast at gmail.com. Mist Apex at gmail.com. Use that email because then I'll i have got it all on a separate handset now and I'll get better at answering stuff like that. Uh so uh I will say we are witnessing a great and you know to some extent you have to enjoy it. We don't complain about Federa having won thirty seven opens. We don't com- we don't complain too much do we about the sky team uh, in the the bicycle bicycles races. Every now and then in sport, you see a great uh, go-and-do the best they can for an extended period of time. And in Formula One, it's hard to argue that Lewis Hamilton hasn't done it. He's done it at a couple of teams now. He's won a race in every single season of his F1 career, and he has uh, probably undoubtedly the best machinery ever in F1 history. So the Lewis Hamilton-Mercedes combination, whether you like it or not, is going to go down in history as the great one of the very greatest car driver combinations in history. Right, well, I think I've upset people long enough so we can we can go on to uh some of the awards. We start off positive with our awards and we, we start off with our fantastically titled Thing of the Weekend. So let's start with Nick Alexander. Nick, you are you're a podcaster. That's why you've got that fancy Shaw uh what's it called? Is that a Shaw seven B microphone? the
3: sm7b oh, do SM7B. Not ask me what that stands for but i i primarily uh podcast here right yeah. now i don't have anything to plug or anything mm-hmm.
2: like that is your is your podcast where you where you tear leaves out of books and then make paper airplanes out of them podcast is that not currently running
3: it's not really. I think it'll come back um like in the winter. I just oh. read more seasonally.
2: Tell you what, let, let's show off how good that mic is. Because you're you're really softly spoken. Why don't you, you know, lean all the way in? Let's have a mic off. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. No, 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 move back, move back. They'll want you to take over my job. That was that was too good. No, it was too good. Oh, um, oh
3: sorry. Sorry. But pod- I have a good thing. I'm still happy. I'm still happy to be here.
2: Your podcast, though, isn't time sensitive. So people can go and search for What's It About Podcast. and uh, dot com. Dot com. Yeah, what's it about podcast.com. And those those episodes are timeless. And uh, video editor Steve Amy also has featured on that. Follow Nick on Twitter at Nick Alexander F1. No, that can't be. Yes. That's too many letters. There's no underscores. No, that's good. Okay, good. At Nick Alexander F1, who was your thing of the weekend? Pierre Gasly. <laughs> ah, of course. I mean, we've not really talked I, about him enough, but he looked amazing. Yeah, I, I've i just been
3: nothing but, I mean, genuinely happy for him for the last several races, if not like, you know, the whole season. It seems like it's going really, really well. The, uh, the timing of the safety car that Matt, Made it sound like it like ruined the race and ruined the tire strategy. Well, not for Pierre Gasly, it didn't. So, no, I was I was really happy for him. Ooh, I, 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 well sort of of I sort of disagree.
2: I sort of disagree there, um, Nick. I think he had an advantage over everyone because the Matt. Am I wrong here? Basically, if there would not been a safety car, Gasly would have continued having an advantage over everyone else who had not yet realized that the hard was probably the best race tire. So, with no safety car, Gasly just keeps on trucking passed the force indias up to the Renaults
1: yeah i i think it i think gasly would have done as well or better without the safety mm. car because the hard tire was the tire to be on and unlike i think the teams at the front who were the ones who suffered more with the degradation i think the alphatari downforce package in terms of its uh ability to keep heat in the tires is probably more along the lines of the Renault, because i saw no signs of of him well we only saw in 12 laps as fuel yeah. Full tanks, but he would have gone hard medium. Everyone else would have gone soft hard. That was going to be a huge advantage for them. Absolutely.
3: So I'll just say that that just helps my case. He just did even better than I even thought. Then.
2: Yeah. No. No. That, that's yeah. That's correct. That's that's absolutely the point I was making. Was that yeah, he did even better than than you were making out. Oh, let's see. Let's move over to Kyle Power. Kyle, you're an engineer. You are hmm. uh, a pillar of the community. You are. An F1 pundit on radio stations such as Love Sport and BBC Radio Cambridge, you're you're quite a big deal, Mr. Power. Oh, I try and try and get myself out there <laughs> a bit.
4: You've got to bring the bacon. You got to get yourself out on the streets, do the work.
2: Yeah, and you can do you can do racing car races. You're quite good at the old karting and the I racing. And you are renowned, despite your edgy appearance, you are renowned for being smooth behind the wheel.
4: I tried to be smooth. I tried to whisper those tires. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it makes me look very silly.
2: You can do it. Come on, <laughs> tyres. You can turn in. No, no, no. Not that much. It's okay. You and me will get through this apex together. Who is your or what was your thing of the weekend? It can be anything, Kyle. Can yeah, be a well person. Nick yeah.
4: Nick stole mine. Stupid so um well, it wasn't a stole here. Nick had mine. So I'm gonna to have to go for the uh Renault low downforce package. Uh was my thing of the weekend and loosely veiled as a big promotional thing from Renault to try to get another customer. (laughs) I love it. it It's the first thing Cyril pointed out. So I think they've, um, they've concentrated all their efforts on their low downforce package to make their engine look better. So they get another customer. I think it's all a fix and a ploy and a dirty tactic. Do you know what? That's my thing at a weekend.
2: Yeah. That's, that's not a bad shout Matt Trumpets. Who's your thing of the weekend? This is the good thing award. I know you get confused because, because you spend most of your time on Twitter uh, shouting at clouds. So your Twitter handle is at yelling at clouds uh, dot Twitter. That's how Twitter works. No, it's not. It's at mattpt 55. That's where people can follow you and you are uh, aggressively forthright on Twitter. So that's why people should follow you because you're not all polite and stuff. You're like ah, the thing.
1: Yeah. I, I may occasionally get that way from time to time on Twitter, especially if you have like 92 numbers after your name. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, d- no, this is challenging for me now because, you know, Renault has been taken. I think they could have had a podium. I think Ocon had his best race of the year. There's a lot of good things to say, but I'm going to go back to Hamilton's lap in qualifying. And I'm going to say that's going to be my thing of the weekend. Nice. because Oh, you just, it just like, I, I I lack words to describe how amazing it was to watch that.
2: Yeah. Brilliant. I'm glad you mentioned that. Nick?
3: Well, and Matt Trumpets lacking
2: words is no small
3: accomplishment.
2: (laughs) Uh, uh, Now we come to our our next panel, Uh, Richard from from Bedfordshire. Oh, hello. Hi. Uh, Right. What is your thing of the weekend? Wait a minute. Don't I get to plug my stuff? Of course you do. Uh, Right. You can follow me at Spanners uh, Ready at Spanners Ready on Twitter. And you can be my friend on Facebook. Uh, with these things I will use them the more people interact with me I will use them more so I I set up a Facebook account um they didn't like spanners they said that wasn't a real name how dare they so richard reddy on on Facebook be my friend there uh I, I don't care if people drop me messages drop me a message on uh Twitter DM me on Facebook just be be nice be 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 kind you know and and here's the big thing that 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 gripes me at the moment is when you have a go at me for an argument I didn't make so at least if you're going to pick me up for something, which you're more than welcome to do, just roll the tape back and be sure that I actually said it. Someone accused me of saying that if you don't specifically support Black Lives Matter and that movement, then you are a racist. Please roll the tape back from last weekend because I, I definitely didn't say that. Uh, but that happens all the time. Just Just take one stage. Just check I said the thing you're having a go at me for. But please drop me a message. I absolutely love it. Um, and Instagram, I'm trying to use Instagram more as well. Um, it's fun. It's fun showing off pictures. I take loads of pictures. I've just never really thought of you know uh, that as a, a a medium of of sharing things on social media. So follow me, uh, spanners ready on Instagram, and I'll share more stuff. My my thing of the weekend is Max Verstappen. He pound for pound, if we use that term again, he's doing everything he can. He was so close to getting a front row. Uh, even though, you know, that party mode was still existing. uh, I I think look out for him, look out for him in qualifying and he is doing the best possible job a non-Mercedes car uh, can do um, and he continues to impress and, and take this role on. I would love to see Max Verstappen in a genuine title fight to see if that very cocky, confident attitude that he's got at the moment, which I love, will that survive a title fight? You don't know until you're there, but hopefully we'll see that soon. Right, a bit of negativity to finish off on. Um, It's the Missed Apex Award.
3: Oh, no, you missed the Apex.
2: Bad thing. Right, let's fly, fly around these a bit quicker. Nick, who missed the Apex for you?
3: I already went on about it a little bit. Or That's no, fine. I guess I can save them for my pony. <laughs> um, I guess we can go back to the Leclerc pit stop. I think you're right. I mean, it took 10 seconds. I mean, it's just hard to... It's just hard to kick Ferrari any harder when
2: they're down. They, I don't know. I don't know what. Carl, you've got a bit of insight on that pit stop.
4: Sorry, my mouse just ran out of batteries. Uh, it's okay. <laughs> happened, so I couldn't
2: unmute. Uh, had um, you had you not said anything, that silence would have been auto removed. But now everyone's just going to hear you, kind of. Oh my technology, it wasn't working, my little shuffler. But anyway, go on. What what was your insight on that pit stop? Um.
4: Did I have insight? Oh, yeah, um, yeah, it was pneumatic air they needed to top up on the second stop, I believe. The first one, yes, they botched and they've got it wrong, but they need to top up their pneumatic air system. There's probably, um, I know they have tiny little titanium reservoirs on the car somewhere, so they may have had a slight leak, um, but they didn't have to top it up again, oddly. So that could indicate that they maybe didn't fill it up properly in the first place which I very much doubt but that's a bit odd
2: no but I don't my, um, well, I don't doubt it why are you doubting it that that team has done nothing to make you doubt it sorry to stick the knife in a bit more go on it just um, seems odd they have to fill it up a tiny bit and then not again Matt quickly
1: all right yeah, we have seen from time to time teams having to recharge the pneumatic system it happens sometimes don't know why it might be their fault doesn't matter yeah that was it
2: uh, Kyle yeah. who missed the Apex view
4: uh, it was Ferrari in general OK, um, really bad, like the FP1, um, FP2, <laughs> FP3 qualifying and the race was a spectacular ball drop. Yeah, part like across the board. So damn, I missed Apex.
2: Uh, Bruce Siegel suggesting that they were had adding helium. Uh, but the FIA, of course, will just reach a private agreement and we'll never know. Matt, who missed the Apex for you?
1: Now, for a lot of people, they're going to be saying F1 TV missed the Apex. Mm. I didn't have my data channel i didn't have my tracker i had intermittent video thank you f1 app for still working (laughs) but i gotta say it's not on them it was the actual internet there was a common ip transfer internet thingy that was not working that was savagely down and was responsible for the loss of transmission of all the aforesaid things so for me absolutely the internet missed the apex.
2: The whole internet. Uh, I'm going to give mine to Perez because I'm just I'm getting annoyed because I know there's potential to un to unlock there. So just p- please, Sergio, stop catching potentially lethal diseases off your private chef for for one thing. That's fine. Just make a sandwich. That'll be cool. Please just start qualifying better and get off the line and just stop getting caught up in silly incidents. You know your your teammate. I think you're faster than your te- I'm talking to him directly because he must listen, right? I know you're faster than your teammate. I think everyone thinks you're faster than the team- your teammate. But look at your teammate. He's not having any dramas. He's getting off the line and he's just doodling along, uh, whereas you're spending time pushing Gasly into, into walls, uh, tagging people, getting caught up in battles. So I, uh, I'm i going to give uh, Sergio Perez the Missed Apex Award this week. One, two awards left, in fact. Daddy, I want a Pony! And I want it now. Uh, Nick,
3: you get the only pony. Okay, I get the only pony. Yeah, yeah. I think it's going to be a controversial one. This one rubbed me the wrong way, okay. and I think people disagree. Okay, and um, I, so I want to I want to read it verbatim so so that we can't get sued for libel or anything like that. So from Carlos Science at Carlos Science fifty five, not happy at all. Second engine with issues this year. We missed another good chance of scoring big points. Second year in a row, I can't start the race. Not the season we deserve so far. We'll move on, but I'm very far from happy. How did you guys... Is that a pony? That's a pony to me.
2: I think that's someone who's genuine. You know, if you don't get to play race cars, I think you get to be upset. No, that doesn't strike me as petulant or pony-ish enough, Nick. Can I add
3: one detail? Okay. This was tweeted after the race was already...
2: Oh. Okay. <laughs> yeah, everyone's trying to enjoy the race now, Carlos. It's not about you. Um, when I said that was the only pony, uh, Matt and Kyle looked incredibly upset. So uh go on then, Kyle. Who's your pony award? I've actually got two. Uh
4: and one of them because one of them's not Formula One. So I do the not Formula One word. It was it was Nikita Mazepin in <laughs> Formula Two, spanking the second place board and almost taking out Sonoda with it. That was absolutely brilliant like so that's my number one pony and my um my 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 formula one pony is actually the the clip of carlos Sainz watching the two ferraris struggle and lock up and then just burying his head in his hands like what have i done (laughs) to sign for them next
2: year that made me chuckle you're not wrong uh matt
1: all right i know this will be controversial but that's why the show exists i'm gonna say lando norris's response to his race engineer at the end of the race might just qualify. I don't want to hear it, but I'm telling you about a penalty. I don't need to know the time to the people behind me. You're not listening, Lando. But it's okay. He was under a lot of stress. I get it. He was trying to get round Albin before the end of the race. So I'm willing to cut him a break, but it it was borderline ponyish
2: for me, that. Time for one more award, Matt. And you have three candidates. I'm serious. Three candidates for... Comment of the week. Shoot, spit them out. I'm not going to interrupt you until the end. Let's go. All right.
1: So Jelly Jansen, Eric Davis, thank you for your Super Chat contributions. And you said three, four. So I'm taking four as that's the larger number. I said three. Three candidates, four. That's exactly what you said. Jeez. Oh, right. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Here we go. Um, DJ Optam, Botas, his leg knows how we race fans feel about this Mercedes era. We're getting a bit numb lydia cruz percentage of chance of tire explosion should be the next aws graphic (laughs) yannick marty botas 2.0 is just barrick hello oh no too much and christopher fonseca with the pit stop button on perez's steering wheel is an in-app purchase
2: oh don't don't no oh it's really really (laughs) close really close between lydia's and that last one let's go for the last one say it again and who said it uh, it would be Christopher
1: Fonseca. The pit stop button on Perez's steering wheel is an in-app purchase. Comment of the
2: week. Christopher Fonseca was banned from winning comment of the week because he won it nine times. But that was when we had quite smaller live streams. Uh, so he's kind of like the Fangio of comment of the week. So we will we should reset it. That's what we'll scrub. We'll take away. <laughs> That's cool, isn't it? We'll take away his nine previous wins and say that that he's a first time winner. Nick, that sounds fair.
3: I heard that Christopher Fonseca didn't even start winning comment of the week until he was like thirty-five.
2: Yeah, I know, right? And the standard was so much lower. No, thank you very much, Christopher, and everybody in the the chat room, please um, go and follow my panel online um, at Kyle Power F1, at Nick Alexander F1, at Matt PT fifty-five, and you can follow me at Spanners Ready and the show at Missed Apex F1. We've got another race this week. We've got Matthew Carter jumping into the shed and speaking to us on Tuesday and uh, he might uh, bring a little call in guest alongside with him. And if you want to do one of those live audience with Joe things, it's a private Zoom call. Um, It's 20 quid. It's in place of the normal live audiences he does um, at venues. Um, It's proved really popular. People have have loved them. I thought people might be a bit disappointed because it's only a Zoom call, but they they have, have loved it and people have kept coming back. So uh, I believe there's still tickets left, mistapexpodcast.com forward slash Joe, and that is at 7pm UK time. Um, all the details are there on the page. Uh, we will see you then again for the, the Carter show and then for the Monza Grand Prix review. Until next time, be brave, because wounds heal, chicks dig scars, and glory last forever. This was Missed Apex.
1: Uh, it's bad. Lydia is appealing to the stewards about the decision. On what grounds? She's appealing to the stewards' decision about, about the win going to Christopher. It's going to have to go to the uh, International Court of Appeals.
2: Won't she later drop it when she embarrassingly realises that she never really had a case in the first place and she was just making a big fuss? Lydia, I'm talking about Renault, not you.
1: I think, I think she will drop it when Mercedes promises to tell her how they did all the fancy things. <laughs> that just like we awesome. told Racing Point